Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Twice every weekday on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And a conversation over this next hour about the biggest world events and a call to prayer for 2022. Right now the world is waiting with anxious anticipation as to what comes next in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's perhaps the biggest and for many the most disturbing event in decades with ripple effects around the world. A conversation today about the issues that might bring Christians to our knees in prayer. Events of the past couple of years have been unprecedented in their intensity and for many compounding their misery. Lives and nations turned upside down while the old normal of 2019 seems a distant memory. Our special guest through this coming hour, Dr. Camille Magdaly, says the biblical injunction is to watch and pray. So attention today to the biggest issues engulfing our planet. Dr. Camille Magdaly leads Teach All Nations. You'll know Camille from our weekday segment, Faith in the Future, and from the Understanding the Times tours and events. And joining us on the line from the United States in the state of Idaho is Dr. Camille Magdaly. Camille, welcome back. Well, good morning, Neil, and good morning, Australia. Camille, you're in Idaho. Just uh, just on a personal note for a few moments here, you were in the UK and you have been able to uh, make your way to the US. You've got family there too. It must be a bit of a relief from you because you were sort of stuck in, in some sense, uh, in locked down in the borders of the UK. Well, normally, Neil, I travel out of the country every month, but I was in the UK nonstop for two years. So that was a radical lifestyle change. But praise God, we're well taken care of and we are blessing his name. So yes, it's, but it's nice to leave and see some other part of the world again. Well, Camille, let's get right into the nitty-gritty of the big issues and uh, no doubt in the minds of so many listeners, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is on people's minds. Whether they are thinking in a biblical prophecy sense, or just concerned about the geopolitics of one nation in invading a sovereign nation, another nation. Uh, what are your overall thoughts for what's been happening and as things have been developing? Well, first of all, in one sense, it's caught a lot of people off guard, including myself, in, re- in, in so much as when it comes to that part of the world, Russia and Ukraine, there's a long history almost as long as the Middle East, which is my specialty. But what I would say is it is really important, first of all, to understand what's going on geopolitically with Russia, Ukraine. Then secondarily, although for many people it should be number one, is there any prophetic implication? It's interesting, people are talking Gog and Magog over this, but since I came to America less than a week ago, you know, the question they ask here is, why isn't America in Bible prophecy? Apparently, that's a number one question in these parts. So it's a fair question. In fact, they're both fair questions. But I think that we will be better off trying to understand today 
and then let the Holy Spirit lead us to the proper scriptures and hopefully the right interpretation. Because when it comes to prophecy, unfortunately, it's easy to get it wrong if you don't have your facts and back them up. Okay, well, let's just focus in for a few moments here. Uh, For those who are interested in the Bible prophecy, we're going to uh, just uh, say a few words about that, and uh, we'll put that on hold for a few minutes, and there might be some questions that listeners might have. Uh, But so far as Bible prophecy goes, and uh, you mentioned Ezekiel 38, 39, a lot of people are familiar with those elements of Bible prophecy, Gog and Magog uh, descending from the north and attacking the nation of Israel, Uh, these things that happen in the end times. You mentioned the U.S. in there as the main question that people ask. So getting things out of of context uh, can lead you astray when you're looking at Bible prophecy, Camille. Well, yes, and can I say that even the best exegetes out there, the best theologians, the best of the best, it is still possible to get it wrong or to get some aspects wrong. Because as the Apostle Paul says, we know in part, we see in part. So what we know for sure, especially the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, no debate, no dispute, no, how should I say, they are clear as anything. But when it comes to prophecy, there are some valid uncertainties, as one teacher puts it. There's just some things we don't know for sure. It's like a puzzle with a few missing pieces. We may get more pieces as time goes along, but still we there's an p- opportunity to get it wrong, to have distortion or to misinterpret. So that's why I am advising that, yes, we look at this seriously and biblically, but be prepared to, how should we say, live with some uncertainty, even if you have an initial interpretation. Because Gog and Magog is an important prophecy. It's actually becoming very well known. But amazingly, 20 years ago, it wasn't even well known in Israel, which of course is the object of the Gog and Magog invasion. Only in recent times has Israeli television put this to the people there with maps and invasion routes and all that. So it's interesting how I believe that the interest in prophecy will increase again. And mind you, prophecy did fall on hard times in the 90s with postmodernism, but I had every confidence it would make a comeback. And it's events like the Russian invasion of Ukraine that are helping stimulate interest in prophecy. And to that, I think, is a great thing. Okay, so we'll hold things lightly, uh, not dismissive of the biblical prophecy, but holding that lightly, uh, that's a, a cue here for us to talk about what's happening geopolitically. We've got a nation in uh, invading a nation, the Russian troops advancing on Kiev, the invoking of a nuclear threat uh, from Putin. Uh, how are you seeing uh, the, uh, the way that uh, Russia has moved here against Ukraine? Any special insights, Camille? Okay, what I understand, and can I just say, even though I've been to Russia eight times and I love the place, I haven't been to Ukraine, ministered there, it's been a wonderful experience, I'm still coming to grips with this nation, which has a long history, a fascinating heritage, and the thinking is different to a lot in the West, which is to be expected. But yeah, what, what we're facing, first of all, is it is 
potentially the biggest war in Europe since the end of the Second World War. It's not the only one. There were, of course, the Balkan Wars of the 90s after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War, but this is big. It also is, how should I say, has the potential to draw other nations into it. You see, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, so technically NATO does not have to bail Ukraine out, per se, although NATO is, for the first time in 30 years, ultra-united. It's actually <laughs> catching people like Condoleezza Rice by surprise, the former Secretary of State. NATO is united. Now they have the boogeyman again of Russia, no longer the Soviet Union, but Russia, which was 76% of the old Soviet Union. But the second thing is, if for some reason Putin becomes very successful in his invasion of Ukraine and decides to sharpen his knives towards other former Soviet republics, the Baltic states of Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia could be in the crosshairs. Now, the difference is they are members of NATO. And this military alliance, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, by the way, 1949, NATO technically is duty-bound to defend them in the event of attack. That's where it has the potential of becoming a global conflict. Now, whether Vladimir Putin wants a global conflict and thinks that China will be on his, not on his back, but have his back, we can't say. But remember, the Russian thinking is different to a lot of secular Western thinking. And there is a great return to Russian orthodoxy, as well as to the Baptist Church in Russia, which is very prominent, and the Pentecostal Church. So they have a messianic perhaps perception that Mother Russia will save the world. Now, doing it by invading Ukraine is not exactly my idea of saving the world, but it's, 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 it gets a little complicated. But yeah, what we have is an unprovoked invasion, and the world is disapproving, but to what extent, we're still watching. The advancing Russia, and as you're indicating, uh, NATO-aligned nations have that protection of a guaranteed uh, pulling in behind uh, whatever nation might be under attack, and they will all rise up to defend. So you've got this reluctance to attack NATO nations. If there is a breaching of that, and uh, so many European nations will join in a war against Russia. Is that, in some sense, a trigger for what some fear may be World War Three? It is potentially a trigger for World War Three. although I'm still trying to figure out what constitutes a world war. Does it have to do with the amount of nations involved or two great powers and their allies face off one to another. Bear in mind, there could have been a World War III during the period of the Cold War, but it never happened. And part of the reason it never happened is because both sides, the Soviet Union in the East and the United States and NATO in the West, they were pretty well armed one to another. So if you attack the one, you could expect a very great reprisal. But Russia is a shell of its former Soviet glory, militarily and economically and so on. And I'm not sure what allies they would bring along to a party, but yes, NATO versus Russia in a military conflict could be perceived as a world war. And yes, that's serious business. And then, of course, bear in mind a couple other things quickly. 
Russia does have nuclear weapons. Ukraine used to have the old Soviet nuclear weapons, weapons, but they surrendered them in 1994 with the understanding that if they were ever attacked, they would be protected. Now that they've been attacked and they've surrendered the nukes, where does that lead? And then also Russia has cyber, uh, shall we say, capability for cyber terrorism, for knocking out EMP, you know, knocking out electrical grids and doing other kinds of things, all kinds of cyber mischief or hacking into major computer systems. This must not be taken for granted. Iran has a similar capability to what extent only the good Lord knows, and China it goes without saying. So th these are challenging times, but they can be opportune times depending on how you walk with God. Camille, a thought or two perhaps you mentioned the strength of some of the churches in Russia and you've been there eight times. Uh, there's a bit of a contrast for me comes to mind. You've got uh, Putin as the president and that communist thinking that leads a government and uh, many will say Putin an evil dictator. Contrast that with revival of the Russian Orthodox Church. Is there something special to recognize in the thought that while there might be a communist atheistic regime, that the, the church actually grows and there's revival in the Russian Orthodox churches we've heard here of recent days? All right. First of all, the Russian Federation, which is its official name, the successor state to the old Soviet Union, is not really a communist state as we understand communism. It is a very autocratic state, but uh, technically, technically, it's a democracy, technically, but not with any of the checks and balances the way we understand a parliamentary, westernized democracy. The second thing is that there is the Russian Orthodox and the Messianic, I, I said it earlier, Mother Russia will save the world. And there is actually something to that not from the Russian Orthodox Church, but from a fascinating prophecy that came by the great British missionary Hudson Taylor. Now, Hudson Taylor was the missionary to China, but he had an intriguing prophecy around 1889, and he actually foresaw the two world wars and other things, but he's, the, the core of it, he saw Russia in revival. And the revival spread throughout the whole nation, and it's the largest nation on earth. But it didn't stay contained in the nation. It spilled over into neighboring areas. And basically what Taylor prophesied, Hudson Taylor, is that the move of God, the revival, would come out of Russia and go westward into Europe, affect many European countries, and then would follow the coming of Christ. Now, this was in 18, whatever, 89. He died in 1905 before even the First World War began. So to me, there is a military invasion, which of course is most unwelcome and dangerous, but there could be another invasion, a Holy Spirit one, coming out of Russia. And I can see the potential. And that, In fact, the Hudson Taylor prophecy, I found out six months after my first visit to Russia, when I saw pretty much the same thing. <laughs> I saw a fire of God in Russia moving into the neighboring areas, including Europe, and there was revival. So that's something, Neil, worth praying about. And of course, the devil would dearly love to derail a revival 
through things like a military invasion. So that's why we need to watch and pray, because I believe the people of prayer and the intercessors are the ones that are going to ultimately write the history. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Dr. Camille Magdaly, who leads Teach All Nations. We're talking geopolitics and biblical prophecy. We are going to talk about a whole bunch of things, including elections that are coming up, not only here in Australia, but of course there's a U.S. midterm election later in the year. But Camille, before we move to that, let's give some closer attention to this thought of Gog and Magog. We mentioned the scriptures, Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. For listeners who want to do their own study on this and perhaps whet our appetites when when it comes to an understanding of biblical prophecy, you've said we're not there yet. This doesn't look like Gog and Magog to you. Uh, but let's just unpack that for a few moments. Uh, thoughts on Gog and Magog. Okay, Gog and Magog. This uh, prophecy has some very specific terms. For example, it is in the latter days, the very end of the age. It is meant to be a coalition of hostile nations that are going to do an unprovoked attack of Israel, knee-jerk, apparently. <clears throat> they haven't, uh, it, it, it's almost like on Saturday, everything was fine and dandy. Come Sunday, let's invade Israel. And so <clears throat> it's Gog who leads the invasion in coalition with allies such as Put, Kush, and Persia. Persia, we know who that is for sure. It's Iran. Kush could be Sudan, Eritrea, Ethiopia, that area. And Put, P-H-U-T, is the area around Libya. Please note who it doesn't include, and that is the invasionary force does not include Israel's next-door neighbors, including Egypt, which is mentioned something like 600-plus times in Scripture, but it's not one of the combatants in Gog and Magog. It's almost like a second ring of nations. The putative reason for invading is to get the spoil. Well, what spoil? What spoil does Israel have? Good question. Uh, I don't even want to go into that now. There's no time. But they go for it. It's, it's unprovoked. It's knee-jerk, latter days, from a power of the north. Having said, oh, it's oh, it's also when the people of Israel, meaning the Jewish people, have been ingathered, because they said they brought back from the sword, and they are living in relative peace, having no bars or gates. So it's a time of peace. It'd be the invasion would be most unexpected. No, it's, and, and basically, it happens so quickly that by rights, the Jewish state should be destroyed. Just that, that kind of thing. overwhelming military force. But as it turns out, fire comes out of heaven, destroys the invasionary force, and it takes seven months to bury the dead. And with that comes some 
some blessings for the Jewish state. Okay, we might enlarge on that if there are particular questions, but uh, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls. Steve is in Parks in New South Wales. Hi, Steve. Welcome along. Yeah, g'day, uh, Brother Neil and uh, Brother Camille. Um, uh, I, these times are extremely frightening, and I, I think you'll both agree. Uh, what I worry about is... Um, um, this, oh, I don't know, this horrible grab for resources that's going on right now and the real reason for the siege on the Ukraine and the godless uh, communism uh, coming out of this geopolitics. I would argue uh, that, um, that Russia um, is what could be termed accurately as the Navy of did who was an exile from the old Soviet Union, he termed it at the time, Russia was a, a communist democracy, which to me is just a play on words. Steve, we did touch on that just a little earlier, and uh, Camille gave us a very nice uh, definition of what he thought was going on so far as governance in Russia, but you do raise an important point around uh, oil or gas or those sorts of uh, energy issues. Uh, Camille, have you got a response for Steve? Well, uh, I'm in one sense, th- first of all, thanks for your call, Steve, and I have been to Parks. The, uh, the situation is that Russia, I, I, I want to be as accurate as I can. It is an autocratic regime. It could even be argued now more of a dictatorial regime. It's not officially a communist regime. I'm thinking of it in the specific sense of the word. But the issue is very interesting. In Trump's day, America had energy independence. Now, America is dependent on importing oil. And they're importing 900,000 barrels a day. I just read it today. Some amazing amount of oil from Russia. And this going from energy independence to dependence, of course, would embolden Russia because they can always turn off the, 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 the tap when it comes to the oil. So they do have some clout with the oil, but their ruble is uh, losing value. They are getting ostracized by other parts of the world, but how, how much that will affect them remains to be seen. The other thing Putin has to watch for is, is his own people on board? Are they reluctant? Are they protesting? There, I think there are some protests. And, and remember, Russia doesn't have a tradition of proper democracy, never has had. So in some sense, you could almost argue they don't know what they're missing. But in another sense, they do know what they're missing because of Internet and communicating with people throughout the world. So the energy issue is important. But really, it's the balance of power among the nations is being upset right now. And unless there is proper intercession, as well as statecraft of the highest order, it could bring us to a tipping point. I'm not sitting here biting my fingernails or losing sleep, because I do know God in heaven. And if we seek the Lord's face, he will act on our behalf. But if we don't pray, and if we don't become informed, then we we are in trouble. Steve in Parks, thank you so much for your call, 1-800-316-316. To join our conversation, let's take another call. Graham is in Burnie, Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome. 
Good morning, gentlemen. Look, uh, the reality is that the world is not going to go to war. It's not going to be a nuclear war tomorrow. It's going to be at least for a few years ahead because prophecy doesn't permit it. Uh, Israel has got to be allowed to sacrifice animals again. And Scripture tells you that in uh, Daniel. It also tells you that the king, the king of the south, which I believe is part of the uh, Muslim, uh, is in North Africa. The king of the south pushes at the king of the north. The king of the north takes out uh, Libya, Egypt, and uh, uh, Ethiopia, then goes into Israel. And then you hear about tidings out of the east and out of the north. We have got Russia and China uh, allies and Iran. The Friday River's got to be dried up to allow them across. Graham, and you're raking some good points here. Uh, only a very short while up to the news. Camille, a, a response for Graham? Well, it looks like Graham, and thank you for your call, Graham. You're quoting from Daniel 11, it sounds like. And uh, that is, I think there's like uh, perhaps over 100 different predictions in that one chapter. The issue for me is interpretation of who's who, king of the south, king of the north. King of the south traditionally has been Egypt, which is a, a very powerful nation in its own right. The king of the north, is it Russia? Is it China? Is it both? Or is it even a resurgent Turkey or a revived Ottoman Empire, which uh, occupies part of the old Roman Empire as well as its own domain in Asia. So we're watching and praying. I am not dogmatic on these interpretations, but yes, there is an interesting dynamic, and yes, nuclear war may de be deferred, but I don't want to take that for granted. I want to pray that it is deferred. ...that are happening in many nations around the world. Uh, elections are important because uh, that undergirds a power base in those nations. Camille, what are your thoughts about the upcoming elections? Which ones of those around the world are most important in your eyes? Okay, glad you asked. There's a lot of elections going on this year. Hungary has an election and... Hungary is special because it's part of the new Europe that appreciates not being communist anymore and likes the things of democracy, freedom, family, and all that. Brazil has a big election, and uh, th that's an important one. France with Emmanuel Macron, he's seeking a second term. And, of course, Australia has the federal election probably around May, but as uh, it hasn't been called yet. And that is an important one, and uh, who knows what will happen since the coalition has been in power in Australia since 2013, but not the same prime minister. <laughs> same government, but three different prime ministers in that eight-plus-year period. Of course, the big one is in the United States. It's called the midterms, and it's scheduled for the 8th of November. It's called midterms because it's not a presidential election. It's an election for the Congress. All 435 members of the House of Representatives will be up for re-election. They only get two-year terms. One-third of the 100 U.S. senators will be up for re-election. They get a six-year term. But there's no presidential election. However, 
it is like, in one sense, a grand by-election, or a, shall we say, a weather vane to how the president is doing by how the midterms do. And usually, if the president isn't very popular, his party will suffer at the midterms. Back in 1994, Bill Clinton lost 53 seats in the House, and that was like a tsunami. In 2010, Barack Obama, in the midterms, lost 63 seats. Now, that is a landslide against what he's doing. And then Donald Trump lost 41 seats in the 2018 midterms. As it turns out, with this one, Joe Biden could, well, let's put it this way. His party only has the House of Representatives by five seats. That's five seats out of 435. All it takes is, is a win of six seats, and the Republicans will control the House of Representatives. We're, we're, we don't know how it will go, but it could be as high as 60 seats, 70 seats, maybe even up to 100 seats. And there's a record number of Democrats retiring from the House of Representatives here. At least, I think it's up to 30 already are retiring. So it's uh, not looking good for the Democrats, but I would be very, uh, how should you say, uh, you would not want to be complacent in any election, least of all the ones in the United States. Oftentimes when there's mass retirements, it doesn't matter which side, uh, it's as though that party sees something of the writing on the wall and uh, not anticipating a win there or increasing in in power. So uh, the Republicans predicted to take the House of Representatives, possibly the Senate too. What does that do to Joe Biden as sitting president, do you think, Camille? Well, doesn't make life very rosy, does it? It would be very hard to pass legislation that would be uh, desired by him when you have the opposite party. But it's more than just that. There is the possibility of a serious push for impeachment because of what happened in Afghanistan and endangering the security of the United States there, what's happening on the southern border, where it's just a free-for-all and people are coming in by their droves daily, daily. They're looking up to 2 million people coming to the United States without authorization in the year 2020, well, in 2021, 2022. So that he could face the possibility of impeachment. If he has a hostile Congress, they may push for the implementation of the Article 25, which is the incapacitation of a president. There may be a push to have a cognitive test. It would not be a very bright picture for Joe Biden if the House and the Senate both turn to be Republican. However, I've also said, while his party has the preeminence in both houses, the Senate is a razor-thin margin. It's 50-50, and Kamala Harris, as president of the Senate, casts the deciding vote or that breaks the tie. And as I said, the House is only five seats. He's even having trouble now passing some pet legislation like the Build Back Better bill or the voting rights bill, which would federalize the elections, which are meant to be by the states. So he's having a hard time now. Just imagine what it'd be like if the Congress turns all red. Camille, we mentioned you are speaking to us today from 
Idaho in the United States. I wonder whether you've been picking up on the mood of people in the US, no doubt absorbing yourself in a fair bit of US media. You're saying that people do have memories of uh, the failure in Afghanistan, of the free-for-all on the southern border. Uh, sometimes there's reflection on uh, weakness of the West, which people tend to look to Joe Biden and talk about the wokeness of the West. Any thoughts here about the mood of the people? And is there something in the American people that wants to stand up against that sort of wokeness idea? <laughs> well, you know, you don't actually even have to be in America to get the sense of what's happened in America, thanks to social media and alternative media and non-mainstream media and different reliable news sources, which are actually practicing proper journalism. It's, it's amazing how you can feel informed without actually physically being there. One thing I just want to mention, which you didn't, is I saw firsthand the inflation that's happening in America. It is it's horrible. I, am, I saw a bottle of mouthwash what does a bottle of mouthwash cost in Australia? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't bought one in a long time. <laughs> but I'll tell you, in America, it was $8 for a bottle of mouthwash. <laughs> and I bought a few little groceries, you know, just a, a, a midweek shop, three, five little small plastic bags, and it cost me $70. I was expecting to pay something like 45 <laughs> 50 <laughs> and And, of course, the airport food was astronomical. So infl that alone is going to spell problems in this election. Just hitting people in their hip pocket is enough. But as far as everything else, I would say if you go by polls, and I, you know we have to be careful with polls, depending who's doing them and if they ha have a bias in advance, but the polls aren't very good at all for the current government, the current administration. It's uh, not looking good. Having said that, what is what is good is it appears to be, and this very much might be part of the understanding the times for 2022, is this what I would call the Newton's Law effect. Isaac Newton's Law is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So whether it's parents in school board meetings, and the fact they sacked the school board in the most woke city in the United States, San Francisco, just recently, is, it's been an inspiration. It's like the shot that was heard across the world. And of course, the Canadian trucking convoy, now the American trucking convoy, they are protesting mandates because they said, we've had enough of the government bossing us around. As it turns out, with the American convoy, they're reaching D.C. just in time for Biden to give the State of the Union address. And I think Biden just lifted the mandates to welcome the truckers, which is the reason they're coming to D.C. in the first place. And that's not counting, of course, prayer intensives like we probably haven't seen in a long time. That's what I would call a pushback, too. So uh, the American people, I, I suppose, like everyone else, they don't want to be seen as woke. And they don't want to be seen as weak. And apparently they go hand in hand, wokeness and weakness. So, so let's go for a third alternative, and that's awakening. And that is something that the church, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, can be equipped to bring forth. 
Some interesting thoughts there on mandates and people power at work. Of course, this has been a challenge here in Australia too, as people have been wondering as Christians, do we uh, protest? Are we out on the streets? Uh, What sort of action might we take? Because uh, we see the intensity of these sorts of mandates. People power, Camille, is this something as a Christian uh, you actually uh, will celebrate uh, the thought that there is people power, the participation of the Christian in the people power movements? Uh, Sometimes those movements get hijacked by all sorts of different ideologies. But uh, when it comes to the the quest for freedom uh, and overcoming some of the the coercion and the heavy handedness of governments, what are your thoughts here for Christians? Well, personally, I love seeing people power at work. It's reminding me of the notion of liberty, which was so central in the founding of the American Republic and so central in the establishment of the Commonwealth of Australia, as well as Canada, as well as New Zealand and other like-minded nations. I really believe that liberty and self-governance is the way to go. That's what America is about. And of course, it has been hijacked over a century by a growing administrative state, a growing uh, government. And it's amazing how regulated we are. I actually had to go to Halls Creek, WA, the outback, to appreciate liberty. When I went to Halls Creek, and I've been there twice, I didn't realize how regulated we were until I went to Halls Creek and saw how unregulated they were. (laughs) Just go down the street and kill a kangaroo. And it's a very nice place, by the way, at least what I remember. So when we see people power at work, it is inspiring. And yes, it should be done nonviolently. It should be done uh, humbly. It should be done firmly. So I think it's a great thing. But there will be forces to try to suppress it or hijack it from within. We do need to be careful with that too. But no, I think it's a good thing. We are called to liberty. We are meant to be free people. But the more you have intrusive government, the less free you will become. Camille, let's just change tack a little here because you're in the United States today. Just recently, you were in the UK, and as you were reflecting, uh, almost, uh, you know, uh, stuck in the UK for two years. And for someone who, like you, loves to travel, uh, that has been a, a tough time for you. But uh, there are things going on in the UK. I wonder if you've got any reflection here. Boris Johnson, under intense pressure. And, uh, in fact, there's the uh, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Uh, there are some, some good things that are happening there, and there are some challenging things politically as well. Uh, what are your thoughts for what's going on in the UK? Oh, Where do I begin? Before I begin with the UK, I just want to make a comment, and I hope the listeners take it in the right spirit, but I have been asked so many questions, not about America, not about the UK, but where I go, I'm asked about Australia, Mm. and what has gone on with Australia because of the the stories they've heard of the way COVID has been handled. So I just thought people would like to know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what people are talking about. Even though I have an American... Yeah, that's what they're talking about. So Australia really has put itself on the map, not always, in, unfortunately, in the way it should. Okay, back in the UK, yes. First of all, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee is a big deal, and it ought to be recognized as such, including by Australia. And 
simply not just because of a single individual who has done their duty in an exemplary manner, but for the symbolism and for the, shall we say, not just symbolism, but for the values that have been wonderfully maintained for 70 years for what the meaning of the crown is. And there's a high Christian content to the crown. I keep hearing these reports persistently of the Queen's personal faith in Christ and that she's been a consistent Christian all her life. I'll tell you, she's been very consistent like a Christian, like she's never had a public tantrum. She's never used foul language in public. She's never uh, done, or how should she say, never refused to do anything that was expected of her. In 70 years, just imagine some people trying to do that for a month. (laughs) So these are things that, and there's much more, much more I can say. It is a grand occasion. It does also represent the system of government in Australia, which we really do need to understand it better. Because if you understand it better, like I took the time to learn about Australia's way of government, and I really do support it. I think the constitutional monarchy has been great. And remember, I was raised in a republic. <laughs> so yes. with, with, how should you say, lessons of why America broke from the crown. So I do have that perspective, which is important. But now, as far as Boris Johnson is concerned, he's in hot water because he, against his normal libertarian, let everyone be free nature, he agreed to the lockdowns. It's, to me, Partygate is not as much a puzzle as the lockdowns, because Boris is not a lockdown kind of person. Even till now, he has resisted great pressure to make vaccines mandatory. Strongly encouraged, yes, but when asked, will they be mandatory, his response, that's not the most eloquent statement, but it stuck with me. He says, we don't do things like that here, like forcing people against their will to get vaccinated. And he that part he actually kept. So I think that Boris, who normally his instincts would have been more like a Sweden or a South Korea or a Taiwan as far as COVID response. I think the reason he went on with the experts, inverted commas, is because he got COVID himself early in the piece and he got a bad dose. And in fact, he was hospitalized. A very serious situation. In fact, there was a slight chance we could have lost Boris altogether. He survived and thank God he did. But uh, I think that's part of the reason he may have agreed against his, his normal philosophy of live and let live and everyone is free because of his own bout. But he has now totally lifted all the, the restrictions, uh, freer than Australia for sure, not as free yet as America, but it's, it, Britain's catching up there. And he, basically he said, it's time we start trusting the, the British people, the public rather than just the experts. So, Camille, that's a good turn. If we're talking freedom, uh, there's another freedom, freedom to travel. And uh, you've rediscovered that. Uh, you're out of the UK. You're in the US. Some listeners who have really appreciated over many years now your tours around Australia. Uh, anything back on the agenda for the coming year? Are you hoping to be able to have that freedom to uh, return to Australia? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> it would be lovely to return to Australia. I haven't been in Australia since, uh, yeah, for two and a half years now. And, of course, I 
made it a point to come every year. I would love to. But, of course, part of the issue is, number one, can I freely travel within the states rather than just merely go to Victoria, which is where I'm from? The second thing is, even if I do have that freedom to travel between the states like before, are people even coming to public meetings like they used to? That, that is an actually important consideration and, and not as easy to answer as the first question. But the other thing, of course, we must be led by God. And, and if God gave me a very clear directive to go to Australia, of course, I would. And I would like to go anyway. I do have 30 years of connections in the land down under. So, yeah, we're on we're on standby, Neil. That's probably the best way to describe uh, there it. There are a lot of dynamics at work, and uh, if the planets align, uh, you'd love to be back down under. Uh, Camille, yes. you're leading Teach All Nations. Uh, you have a good focus on biblical prophecy. A lot of your books are focused on prophetic elements. Uh, one of your latest books, The Prophet from Babylon, Understanding the Book of Daniel, uh, available in the Vision Store uh, for listeners who want to get a hold of that. Uh, have you got any more books in the pipeline? Oh, I have books in the pipeline. I have one on Psalm 91, which is currently with the editor. And I have one on Ruth and Esther, the two ladies that have Bible books in their name, and The Power of Faith. Those are Those are written and ready to be edited, proofread and distributed. But some of the listeners may be interested in an older book I have, an introduction to end times called Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. That one, we have a few copies left in Melbourne, and that would be obtained from our website. But it, And also Alpha and Omega is on Amazon Kindle. It will talk, I'm sure it would talk about Gog and Magog, and some of the other uh, important and spicy, juicy prophecies. Okay, well, we have run out of time. Let me point listeners to connect with Dr. Camille Majdali. You can do so through his website, teachallnationstan.org.au. Very easy to remember, tan.org.au. Keep an eye out for those books, either on Camille's website uh, or Google those, and you'll find them at online booksellers. And uh, so far as your uh, Issachar teaching newsletter, the e-letter, uh, people can get that too when they go on to the uh, tan.org.au. How often do you send those out, Camille? And, uh, of course, you know, you're talking about these sorts of topics and perhaps even more depth than we're able to get into in a conversation like this, but people can access those. They can subscribe to them when they go onto your website. Yes, they can, and I highly recommend Issachar. It's normally every month, occasionally this one will be February and March. And basically, we are offering in Issachar, as a free service, current events in the light of God's Word, key focus, or focus on key books of the Bible, and also where we can articles on victorious Christian living. Plus, we offer articles that we think may be of interest from other sources besides ourselves. We, our goal is to help people become future Freddy, sorry, future ready, not ready, future ready by, uh, by uh, these things, the, the current events, Victorious Christian Living, and the Bible. If you're future ready, you will face tomorrow with great confidence. 
Dr. Camille Majdali, uh, teachallnations.tan.org.au. Camille, thanks so much for taking some time, staying up a little later. Uh, it's uh, evening where you are in the United States. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Neil, and God bless Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.